news today, but I first thing I do when I wake up in the morning is I check Google News. And I saw on my Google News feed this morning something that was kind of depressing. I'm a big Olympic sports fan, and I read that after, like, the Olympics literally happened like four months ago, and I read that the main Olympic stadium is already in disrepair. I guess that they did a terrible job of keeping up with it after the Olympics, and now there are like wild cats living in there, and the whole place <laughs> smells like gold. You can check this out. It's really sad. But uh, that said, now that's a huge downer. Uh, I love the Olympics, and that story has a point. <laughs> Joseph's story is the ultimate story of like dreams going bad. And if you want to see some headlines about dreams going bad, the Olympics is the perfect time to do it. You you may have seen these headlines, but a classic like ending is so and so goes home devastated. They always go home devastated. Um, these poor athletes, you know. It's so sad. They go to the Olympics and have a great time in Rio de Janeiro and achieve a life dream. But they're always going home devastated. Look at some of these headlines. Poor Tom Daly. He was devastated over his disappointing solo diving Olympic performance. Look at him. Look at that poor little guy. Uh, Paddy Barnes, man. Not only is his name Paddy Barnes, but he went home devastated. Somebody punched him in the face, and now he's staring at the sky. Um, and then Sir Mark Todd, not only does he have two first names, but he's also <laughs> devastated because something about eating kiwis in a three-day event. Um, and so all these people going home devastated. It's such a bummer. And if you want to talk about dreams being ruined, like I said, Joseph, um, he could have been the ultimate goes home devastated story, except for Joseph. His story is so bad that he didn't even get to go home devastated. <laughs> Joseph got sold into slavery devastated and never was able to go home again. Uh, so if you don't know the story of Joseph, it begins in chapter 37 of the book of Genesis. And does anyone know who Joseph's father was? Any ideas? Israel slash Jacob. Israel was uh, his, his pen name, maybe, his pseudonym. So Jacob, Israel... Uh, was Joseph's father. Joseph was the second youngest of 12 sons. And if you're thinking, Jacob, that's, that rings a bell. Yes, it's the same Jacob of Jacob and Esau fame. And so Joseph was Jacob's favorite son, and he had this special coat. Some might call it a Technicolor dream coat, even, uh, that you all are well aware of, this bright coat, to, sell, to show that he was his father's favorite. He was given this special coat. And so Joseph wasn't just special to his father. He was special to God, and we see that. In chapter 37, listen to this. God gave him a dream of how he would be a great leader. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father, as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. 
And so these dreams that Joseph had, they were clearly from God. But look at Joseph here in this story. He had some serious maturing to do. I know he's a Bible character, but if we look at this story objectively, Joseph is a little brat. We see him bragging to his brothers about how special he is, uh, tattling on them for what they've done wrong, and then telling them that one day he'd rule over them as he wears his special coat. This is not a way to build good relationships with your older brothers. Uh, you really can't blame them for disliking him. And so what does a good older brother do? Uh, he schemes up a plan to get his younger brother back, and Joseph's brothers have the ultimate evil scheme. Um, this is really terrible, actually. So Joseph is coming out to see them in the fields. They're about 13 miles from home. And so Joseph, you know, his brothers must have seen him coming up in the distance, and they're like, oh, he's probably coming to tattle on us again for what we're doing wrong as we tend these sheep. And so when Joseph comes, they have this idea. All right, we're going to grab him, and we're going to throw him in this dried-up well. And they do it. They throw him in this well, and when some people from a far-off nation come by, they sell Joseph in slavery to these foreigners passing through, and they take his special coat and they smear goat's blood on it, and they take it home to their father, like, Father, when we were coming back, we found Joseph's coat. He must have been killed by a wild animal. And so their father stays home devastated. He's lost his favorite son. He's lost Joseph, this one who he knew God had given him these dreams of how he would be a great leader. And Joseph, his father doesn't know it, but is sold into slavery and he's picked up by some people in Egypt, which is about 200 miles away from Canaan, where he was from. And so, a few chapters later, Joseph's story picks back up, and 10 years have passed. And now he's living in the home of Potiphar. And Potiphar was the man who was the captain of Pharaoh's guard. Joseph is living in Potiphar's house as a slave. And so, how's slavery going for Joseph? Let's check out his story. 10 years later, now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt... Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph, so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything that he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all of that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. How amazing is that? Look at the responsibility that this slave, Joseph, was given. That Potiphar didn't concern himself with anything because he had such great trust for this Hebrew slave that lived in his house. Joseph prospered and benefited Potiphar, and we see in this chapter why. We see it there four times, actually, in this chapter. The Lord was with Joseph. That's why he was able to be a blessing to Potiphar, because God was with him. And so think about Joseph. Being enslaved in Egypt, that certainly wasn't where Joseph would have seen himself at age 27 and making his five or ten year plans. That's not where he would have seen himself. This certainly wouldn't have been where Joseph wanted to be. But this is where he was. And nonetheless, God was slowly building faith in Joseph to trust him, even in the midst of such difficult circumstances. He could flourish even in such a place as Egypt as a slave, and he wouldn't just flourish himself, he would be able to benefit others. 
as God was with him. And so look at Joseph here. He's killing it in his service in Potiphar's house. He's really doing good work, but the story takes another downturn. If you have never heard this story, it's, it's kind of, you get your hopes up, and you're like, man, look at Joseph. Something is going to come of this man's life no matter what. Look, even in spite of what's been done to him, God is doing good things, and then it plummets again. Look what happens next. Joseph is in Potiphar's house, and he's serving well, but uh, Joseph was cursed with being well-built and handsome, as the text says, <laughs> and Potiphar's wife gets the hots for him. And so Joseph is going about his work, but Potiphar's wife decides she wants to sleep with him, and Joseph says no, and she gets mad, and so she decides to tell her husband, Joseph tried to take advantage of me. It's a genius strategy to get back at him. And so what does Potiphar do? He sends Joseph to prison. And so Joseph ends up in prison for being a man of integrity and refusing to sleep with his boss's wife. Uh, man, Joseph, what a raw deal. You've got to feel for the guy. This just stinks. He, ends up with he acts with integrity and he ends up in jail. So it really looked like God was going to do something with him, but I guess it's all ruined, right? Uh, the story ends here. No, that's not how it goes. Just as we saw before, look what God is able to do in the midst of this mess. Let's read in chapter 39. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care, because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. The warden paid no attention to anything in his prison because of how well a prisoner was running things. How crazy is that? How crazy is this story? Joseph thrives in prison because God is with him there. Even in prison, even when we would have thought, man, it's all over for him. Look at him here. He's thriving. Joseph was going to thrive there because God was with him and God was going to work out his purposes in Joseph's life. Nothing could stop God's will. Not slavery, not false imprisonment. And so here he is in prison. He's running the show, but prison manager was only a stepping stone job for Joseph. His crazy story kind of continues. God eventually bails him out of prison through a roundabout um, connection. So Joseph is in prison, and he has this dream to interpret gifts. And one day, Pharaoh's cupbearer, who's also in prison, um, he must not have been a very good cupbearer. Um, do you know what a cupbearer is? The cupbearer's job was to sit the Pharaoh's drinks to make sure that no one had poisoned them. And so, you know, this cupbearer, maybe he thought, man, the king's wine is a lot better than the wine I'm getting at home. So as cupbearer, I'm going to take a little extra sip or something. I don't know how you end up in prison as the Pharaoh's cupbearer. But that, uh, you know, that's... That's my idea on how maybe he ended up there. And so anyways, Joseph interprets this cupbearer's dream, and the cupbearer is released from prison. Two years later, the pharaoh has a dream that no one can figure out, none of his wise men. And so he's asking his court officials, oh, what can I do to figure out this dream? And his cupbearer's like, well, I know a guy. I know a guy I met in prison who might be able to help you with this. And so pharaoh calls Joseph out of prison, and Joseph goes to the pharaoh, the king of Egypt, to interpret his dream. And so Joseph tells him, here's what your dream means. It means that seven years of plenty, plentiful harvest are coming to Egypt, and they will be followed by seven years of famine, where we'll have no food. And so the Pharaoh is really glad that Joseph has this gift to interpret dreams, 
but he just doesn't know what to do with this information. And so Joseph pitches him an idea on how to handle this famine. And the Pharaoh recognizes that this is a really wise plan. This man's God has given him ability to not only interpret dreams, but this special wisdom to come up with a plan on how to handle this famine. And so the Pharaoh gives Joseph a get-out-of-jail-free card, and he also gives him a promotion. Instead of being in charge of his jail, Joseph is now in charge of preparing the entire nation of Israel, the Egyptian, pardon me, the nation of Egypt, the Egyptian empire for this famine, and he's running the kingdom. And so Joseph, look at this. He's in prison one day, and the next day he's advising the king and running the country. How does this happen? I mean, this guy's dream should not be being fulfilled to be a great leader. They shouldn't be fulfilled. He's sold into slavery and he's in prison. It should be over for Joseph, but look at him here. Here's some great career advice from you from Joseph's story. If you want to accomplish great things in your vocation, if you want to be a leader that changes the world, here are some things you can do. First of all, get sold into slavery. Uh, second of all, go to prison, uh, preferably for a crime that you don't commit. Uh, one that you commit may come back to get you. Um, and, and the third thing, have the favor of God on your side. Because that is really the only thing that matters in the long run. That's what we see in Joseph's story. He had everything against him except God. God was with him, and he absolutely caused Joseph to flourish. Have you ever heard the term providence before? Providence is what Joseph's story is all about. Providence is God's direction over human lives to work out his will and accomplish his purposes. And so we see in Joseph's story that there wasn't a moment where God abandoned him. There wasn't a moment that God's providence did not extend over. It was over Joseph's life, no matter what evil was done against him. God was going to bring about his will. He was going to accomplish his purposes in Joseph's life, and nothing could get in the way. Let's continue on the story. God's providence doesn't end here with Joseph being this leader who took care of Egypt. We see that after those seven years of plenty, this famine actually did happen, and God provided for the people of Egypt through Joseph's leadership, preparing wisely for that event. And that, that famine, it spread all across the region, making its way all the way to Israel, where Joseph's brothers are at. And one day, his brothers, they travel to Egypt to get food, because they're in such a desperate place, they show up on Joseph's doorstep, and they don't recognize their brother. They don't, they don't recognize Joseph, but Joseph recognizes them, and so he decides, I'm going to put them through this long series of tests to see if they've really changed and matured since the moment they sold me into slavery, to see if he can actually trust them. Uh, he doesn't just reveal that himself to them. And so he tests their honesty, he tests their love for one another, and their love for their father. And after a while, he's convinced, he can see that they have matured since that time they've sold him into slavery. And he decides that he's going to reveal to them who he really is. And I love this story. It's, it's probably one of the most dramatic real-life stories that's recorded. Listen to this. Genesis chapter 45. When Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. He wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Imagine that. The brother that you sold into slavery is now the Pharaoh's right-hand man in Egypt, and you're standing before him in his court. 
They were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been a famine in the land, and for the next five there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me a father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and a ruler of all Egypt. Isn't that incredible? Look at the grace that Joseph gives to his brothers here. How could, he, how could he be so gracious to them? He didn't even blame them once for what they did. How could, he, how could he approach them with that posture? We see it there in this passage. He was only able to approach his brothers in that way because he saw that it wasn't his brothers that were behind the trajectory of his life. It was God who was directing his path. It was God who was behind everything that had happened to him. He says... It was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. He sent me ahead of you to preserve a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. Through all the twists and turns of Joseph's life, God was able to mold him into a person who saw that it was God who was worthy of his trust behind everything that he went through. It's only that kind of faith that could allow Joseph to say later in the book of Genesis, you intended to harm me. He said to his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. That's what God does in his province. He accomplishes his good and perfect will. He brings grace. He brings redemption, even in the most broken of situations. Think about Joseph's heart. Think about the thoughts that must have crossed his mind over the years as he waited in slavery, as he sat in prison. He must have thought, man, God's gone. He's left me for dead. But God never once left Joseph. God was with him, and God's will would not be thwarted. He was going to work out the dreams that he had given for Joseph for his life, even in the midst of the darkness that was around him. God worked out his redemptive character in Joseph's life. He gave Joseph grace and changed him so that he was able to give grace and bring about redemption in his own brother's story, his own relationship with them. So think about that. That's what God's providence really comes down to. It comes down to redemption in the midst of brokenness. When we think about our circumstances, the things that we go through, the challenges of our lives, we're often aware of our need. We're often aware of God, we need you to come into this place where I'm feeling like I'm falling short. I need your grace to cover over my sin. Or God, if you would only provide a job for me or a significant other to come beside me so that I can have someone real right there walking along with me in these things that I'm going through, we think that it's our circumstances, those day-to-day -day needs that are our greatest need. And those are needs. But our circumstances are also meant to point us to our greatest need. Those longing in our hearts point us to an ultimate longing that can only be fulfilled by God. We all have a need to be redeemed to our Creator, to our Savior. And it's through God's Son, Jesus Christ, who He sent to live a sinless life and die on the cross that we who have faith in Him might be saved by His resurrection from the grave. It's through faith in Christ that we're able to walk through life as people of hope because our circumstances, our times are in God's hands, 
And ultimately, our eternity is in God's hands. Through Christ, God has provided for us in the way that we need it most. And so we can trust in God's providence over every single area of our lives. Let me tell you, if you're in this room and you're a student or you're a young adult, in the next five years of your life, there are many things that are not going to go according to your plans. If your life works out anything like the way that mine did. And I'll tell you right now, some of those things are going to be so much better than what you ever could have imagined for yourself. Some of them are going to be great surprises. There are other times where you want to run home to mommy and daddy devastated. Trust me, both my wife and I had those experiences in our life. There are going to be things that surprise you by how great they are, and there are going to be times where you feel as if the dreams that you've had were absolutely crushed and it's all over. And the question that I want to ask you is, you're going to be, are you going to become bitter when things don't go as you plan? Are you going to lose faith in God's providence over your life? Or are you going to trust that He really is in control and that He's writing your story, that He is with you even in those moments when it seems as if the dream is lost, like Joseph's life, like Joseph's story? Will you trust in God's providence? I need to tell you, things like losing a job that you really wanted, getting hurt when you're an athlete who has big aspirations, making changes in academic programs when you feel like you can't hack it or what you've been working hard on isn't a fit for you. Those are really hard and really difficult things. But sometimes it's through pain. Sometimes it's through failure that God gets you to absolutely where He wants you to be. God used failure in my life. God has used pain in my life and He will again to accomplish His good will and His good purposes when I wouldn't have put myself in those places myself, and I certainly would have moving forward. I don't think any of us are masochists, but God can accomplish beautiful things in redemption in our lives. He can make us more like Him through the most broken stories. It's been those times in my life where things have felt out of control, and as if those dreams that God gave me were crushed, where I've come to trust Him the most, where I've come to see how big His grace is the most, where I've seen that Christ is greater than anything, that I can hope in Him no matter what I'm going through. And so when those moments come in your story, when those moments come to you, you can respond in despair because you're convinced that the dream is over. Or you can do this. You can trust that God is with you even now and the dreams He's given you, dreams He's given you for His glory, will not be thwarted. Nothing can stop His will. And so let me ask you, I believe that God has created each of you intentionally with gifts and abilities, unlike no one else. I believe that God gives each one of us dreams that we can use to serve others, that we can use for God's glory. What dreams has God put on your heart? What things has He blessed you with? What opportunities? What passions? What dreams? How is God shaping you? How is He shaping your understanding of those dreams and how you can use them for His glory? How is He working in your life to mature you that you might desire His glory most? In what ways do you need to trust those dreams to God? We know from Joseph's story that no, how, how, no matter how crazy the plot line of our own stories may unfold, God is with us, that His will will not be thwarted. And so in those moments where you feel as if you're going to go home devastated, remember Joseph's story, remember God's providence over his life, and know that that same God is on your side. 
we have hope in Him because He sent His own Son to be with us. And His Spirit inside of us is there to encourage us and we're gifted with the community of one another to lift each other up whenever we forget those promises of God. And so let's encourage one another. Let's come alongside one another in our dreams. Let's remind each other of God's Spirit and the power that we have in the resurrected Savior. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for our Savior, Jesus Christ. Because of him, we are people of hope. We know that you are over our stories, God. Um, like Joseph's story, even in moments where we feel despair, where we feel as if devastation is what's coming because our dreams are crushed, we are people who can have hope because you entered into our story. Jesus Christ, who walked among us, came here that we might be people who are saved, to be in relationship with you, and that we might be people who have your power living inside of us through the Holy Spirit. And so, God, help us not to be people who are afraid. Help us to be people of faith who trust you, who rely on you, God. Help us to give our dreams to you, that they might seek your glory, God, and not our own. Would you mature us, God, to desire more of you and to serve others and not to be about ourselves? We thank you for your word and we pray that it would make it all the way to our hearts, that we would be changed by it. In Jesus' name, amen.